0: Greetings and welcome back gentlemen and ladies men to another shrek tastical podcast
1: here on the Unverse Cast. I'm Exo. That's how you know it's a good one. If a shrek tastic shrek testicle. Yeah. Not to be shrek confused. Testicle. Yeah, I was just what? about to say that.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's okay. I know what I said.
0: <laughs> uh, so who are these lovely gentlemen joining me in this call? I'm an asshole. Uh me too. Okay. <laughs> how many assholes do we got in the ship anyhow
1: i i knew it i'm surrounded by assholes
0: you say we're on a ship are we playing among us uh yes this is (laughs) this is an among us ship and one of us is an imposter so you'll have to figure out based on our 2022 gaming hot takes which one of us is the imposter everybody vote
2: in the chat or, I mean, the comments <laughs> about who you think the imposter is. Hey, everybody vote in the chat. and Whoever gets voted is not on the next episode.
1: Oh, God.
0: <laughs> uh, but, yes, anyways, we are here probably somewhere in February by the time you guys are hearing this to talk about Game of the Year 2022. I guess, what did you guys think of this year in gaming, just in
2: general? Mr. King, would you like to take the floor? Uh... Well, it was like a tough mental year for me, so I didn't actually play a lot of the games that released this year. Mm-hmm. I guess it was last year, whatever. Uh, I had to form like a top five because I couldn't really even go beyond it because I the, the stuff I played was like a lot of it wasn't even from the year. So like mm-hmm. I had to really stretch to make even a five game list because there was just a lot of personal stuff going on. I didn't play a lot of games that I wanted to play. So, you know, it's kind of hard to distance myself from that stuff, but I think it was like a decent year for the stuff that I played, I guess. It wasn't mm-hmm. like horrible.
1: hmm Yeah. Uh, I mean I mean, well shit. I mean, if we're talking about like the personal stuff too, like yeah, this year kind of fucking sucked donkey dick 2022 did yeah. anyway, which I don't know about twenty twenty three. We'll see. But twenty twenty two was rough uh but you know i got to meet you guys in person
2: Yeah, you know that was that was a
1: lot of fun that was easily like a highlight for me
2: it was really Uh, cool when we weren't sick
1: yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) I you know i'm surprised that that incident alone didn't ruin chocolate milk for (laughs) (laughs) y'all
1: oh no no now if you'll
0: excuse me i'll Uh. go back to sipping my mocha (laughs)
1: <laughs> well i'll I'll go back to sipping my uh well funny enough I'm, <laughs> I'm drinking a corona right now
0: <laughs> this, this oh, wow. is oops <laughs> this is the rhythm of the night, you say uh <laughs> maybe anyways
1: uh. um, but yeah, this year like in terms of like outside of like the gaming sphere, yeah, no, it was dark shit, but like I actually thought this year in terms of like the games that came out, I thought it was pretty solid like i i even was able to write down a list the games that i've played Mm. not games that i've beaten mind you but Mm. a lot of games that actually like played and i'm kind of like i I don't have like a lot to say on some of these because some of these are like pretty small yeah but some of these are also games that you guys have played and i'll be able to like you know give my two cents in but Mm -hmm. yeah no I, i i think this year was was pretty solid all things considered what about you exa
0: so I'm looking back over a list of games that I played because I tried to keep track of it all this year. Mm-hmm. I th- I feel like I played more than I usually did. Um, and that, that was something I tried last year as well to try to have more interesting things to bring to this podcast. And looking back at this list, I can't help but feel that this year was pretty disappointing. Honestly, um, the common theme for me. Like, there are at least three games on this list that I did not finish, which is pretty unusual for me. Usually, uh, if I get take the time to spend, like, full price on a game, I will at least finish it, uh, but there are two games on this list I know for a fact I didn't finish, so... Well, mine has several, so... Actually, three, <laughs> um, and usually if I don't finish a game, it's because I'm so bored that I'd rather be doing anything else. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, and that's kind of the category. Well, one of them was frustrating, but I will choose about whether to talk about that one at a later point.
1: Well, see, that's kind of the theme for me in the sense where it's like there were a lot of games that I wanted to play and a lot of games that I bought, but that, you know, I, I didn't get to finish them Yeah, because like as soon as I was like maybe like, like halfway through one game, Another one would come out that I was interested in, and then I would play through halfway of that game. Another one would come out, and, you know, it's kind of like a pattern. And, like, there's one game in particular that I'm sure we'll talk about where I will never be able to finish, (laughs) no matter how hard I try. But, like, it's for most of these anyways... It's not because I was disappointed or that I got bored. It was literally just because there were other things that got in the way. Mm -hmm. And actually I was able to, like, I'm kind of glad that we did this a little bit late because I was able to get like two more games, uh, on this list. Again, two of which I didn't get to finish, but you know, two that I played and two that I'll be able to, you know, talk about to some extent. So kind of interested this year. This is, this will, I think this will be an interesting episode. Cool
0: traditionally when we've done these podcasts we've also talked about games from previous years. We've done like a catch-up kind of thing. Yeah. How about we start with that so I can put that all in the first part and then people can skip that if they don't care about it.
1: (laughs) Well uh, if if it's okay for me to get started I wanted to like kind of nip this in the butt. Sure. Uh, One of the first things that I did last year uh, and something that like I'm still doing uh, this year I got into randomizers. Mm. Uh, I which again is maybe it's not like dedicated to one game specifically. Uh, but I'm I'm starting to see have, the uh, appeal. Yeah.
0: Huh? As long as you don't play one that RZ made, you should be good.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> I've seen those things. They're an abomination against man and god. I will not No. I love you, RZ, but no. Um I got started with Majora's Mask. I actually mm-hmm. streamed that on Twitch, I think. It was last year. And that was a lot of fun. And like Sometimes when I'm bored, I just, I, I sit down, I pop a seat in, and I don't ever really get to finish them, because I have to do other things, but you know, they're they're just a fun little distraction, and like, they're telling, like, you know, Jay, not Jay, but like RZ, uh, I think King's brought it up, Twip tells me all this all the time, where it's like, oh, why not, you know, do Ocarina of Time, it's better than Majora's Mask, but I'm like, and I, I kind of learned another reason why I just prefer Majora's Mask over Ocarina of Time, it's just like, I think Majora's Mask has a more interesting world to be in a more interesting yeah. and more fun world to play around in. And Ocarina doesn't really have that. Like, Ocarina has better pacing, sure, but I just, I think
2: Debatably. the world
1: of Majora's Mask is
2: it just more interesting. in a randomizer. It's specific. Okay. Yeah. If, if that's what you skipped. mean, sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I don't know. It's just, it's more fun to play Majora's Mask than it is Ocarina of Time. That's just me though. And it's, it's, it's more interesting when you're like, you're going down a rabbit hole where it's like, oh, well, I got this mask this mask has uh, this check. And if I do this check, I can do this. If I can do this, I can do that. You yeah. know? <laughs> and on the on the one hand, it makes it so much worse when at the end of, like, your little uh, hunt, it ends, it ends up being, like, a blue or a red rupee. A Majora's mm. Mask has a lot of those. But at the same time, when you get something that's, like, really good, it feels a hell of a lot better, you know? Yeah. So that's really cool. I dabbled a little bit with the Pokemon randomizer for uh, Pokemon Emerald. And, you know, I didn't get very far in it, but it's it's pretty fun. You know, I'm starting to (laughs) understand why people do this. It's neat.
2: Yeah. Well, I I really am into the Ocarina one. Obviously, I do it all the time, basically, especially Mm. these days. But there's something about randomizers that's very special. And it, like, it it allows you to, like, there's no possible way that you'll ever re-experience the magic of a first playthrough of anything. Mm -hmm. But a randomizer is probably as close as you're ever going to get especially for Metroidvania-like games. I've done one for, like, Super Metroid. A lot of the Metroid games work really well with randomizers. Yeah. Because, like, it, it's almost like it AI generates an interesting puzzle for you to solve, and then you solve it. And, you know, sometimes yeah. the puzzle's really easy, because that's just luck of the draw. But, like, sometimes it's really fascinating and, and teaches you things about the game. Like, the things I've learned about Ocarina of Time is kind of insane to me, and there are things that I've done in that game that I never thought I'd be able to do yeah, because of I, randomizers.
1: I also want to say that, like, you know, randomizers kind of force you to look at the game, like, in a completely different way, in a completely different context, where it's like you're so used to doing, like, let's say a dungeon or a boss fight a certain way, like the way how the game yeah. originally teaches you how to do it. But then the randomizer kind of tells you, like, nah, you don't, you don't actually have to do it this way. There's, like, other ways how you can solve problems. So it's like figuring that out is a lot of fun, you know?
2: Yeah, sometimes it'll force you to do bosses or dungeons without a certain item because it knows that you technically can do it without that item. And it's just interesting.
1: And it also doesn't ever, like, or at least the seeds that I've done, it's not like if you have to do, like, speedrun strats or glitches or anything like that. Like, there are ways to do that, of course, but... Except for RZ seed. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Which is why I will never do a seed made by RZ. It scares me.
0: I I just want to say that RZ's Nightmare Kaizo Seed for Ocarina of Time <laughs> is one of the worst things ever made by a human. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, but as for randomizers in general, like, I played the AM2R randomizer a couple times this year for that video, and it was actually really, really fun, and made me be like, hey, maybe they aren't all dog shit like RZ's was. Maybe th- there is a lot of there are a lot of bona fides to this whole concept of randomizing the placement of power ups and stuff. Uh, Mm. it makes it really interesting when I just want the morph ball bombs and I keep getting missile packs when I don't fucking need them. (laughs) That's kind of the blue rupee equivalent, but, um, yeah, but it, it does, it just all goes to show when I was going to school for game design, I was, I was taught that games are composed of luck, skill, and strategy. Those are kind of like three fundamental engagement types or building blocks for a game Mm. and the whole pitch. There was a time where we had to make some kind of prototype that was purely luck based and try to make that fun. And it's very difficult, but randomness and luck is really good for exactly the scenario you guys are describing where it's like, you want something really badly, but you don't know what you're going to get and your only way. It's I, I've forgotten all of my behavioral conditioning terms, but it's there's it's something called the reward schedule. And it's like, you know, the the whole concept of you feed a dog when a, the Pavlov's dog where you ring a bell yeah. and then you feed the dog and the dog comes to actually that's classical conditioning, uh, uh, positive punishment, uh, positive reinforcement. You know, you guys familiar yeah. with those terms. That's behavioral conditioning where it's like you give people rewards in response to certain actions and punishment is like, you take something away from the person and reinforcement is you give something to the person. Um, and then it has positive and negative quality. Actually, I'm getting into the weeds. The point is <laughs> there is a, a specific schedule for how you give rewards to the player that tends to be more effective than others. And, uh, that's why you see a lot of like, uh, randomness, like that that fucking Fire Emblem mobile game where you can unlock new heroes and stuff and it's purely random, but they're like the gacha different system. tiers. Yeah, yeah. a gotcha system. Like, the reason that that's so common is because it works and it makes the player play the game for longer, which is why it also for, makes them
1: pay with real money.
0: Oh, well, it's like if you have a mobile game where your profits are contingent on people playing the game longer, then that's that's why that system is there. So, yeah. randomness can do a lot for engagement is, is kind of the point I'm making. And that's kind of why, what makes these so special where it's like, Oh, am I going to get the screw attack? Am I going to get the power bombs and then what can I do with that? And it's kind of fun to work through the mental exercises of like, Oh, I can do this now. So, um, I wish I had, I had played more of them, but, uh, it, you know, it's one of those things where so many games, so little time. But, uh, yeah, that's randomizers.
2: Uh, King. What about you-, you, King? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, let's <laughs> go to Exo for now. I got to think. Sure. About more.
0: So I I will ask you, King, you now have a PlayStation 5, as do I. As um, do I. Oh, all three of us. Okay. Ah! Did any <laughs> of you guys play Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart? No. Yeah, I played that when it came out. Okay. Okay. hmm Wait, when it came out? Yeah.
1: That was 2021.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did yeah. did you talk about it on last year's podcast or did I just forget? Uh, I don't know. I don't in, actually remember. In any event, let's talk about it now. I here here's my rundown on the Ratchet and Clank series for people who are who haven't seen those shitty videos from 2014 that I should probably go delete after this is over. The PlayStation saga, PS2 saga. Really solid and great highly replayable, very good games for their time. Then you get to PS3 and there was some things that were just lost in translation. It just feels like ever since the series, ever since like Crack in Time and arguably Quest for Booty, it just (laughs) feels like the games are getting shorter and shorter and having less and less content. It just feels like uh, Insomniac was so constrained by their timetable that they had to just keep whittling down their vision and whittling it down and whittling it down some more. Well, some of those
1: games weren't even sold at full price, were they? Like, I remember the... Into the Nexus wasn't. Nexus. Yeah, Yeah, that one was Mm -hmm. like... Well, wasn't there, like, the Quest for Booty, wasn't that one also sold at, like, a budget price, too? Oh,
0: that one... Quest for Booty and Into the Nexus are shorter than, like, even the full-length ones. Like, Quest for Booty was, like, a little Interquel thing that was download-only in the U.S., I think. There was a physical copy in Europe, I think, but not in the U.S. And then Into the Nexus was you know, it's like, yeah, this game only has a few levels in it. I'm not sure what the point of it is at that point, because it's not... It was, That game was okay. But the, but the point is, is that all of those games were kind of okay, including Crack and in Time, which I was not particularly impressed with. And that's kind of the note the series ended on, was uh, Nexus was pretty decent, but it, it felt like compared to the first game, where there were like 11 planets or something, and then this game only has three. It just feels like You know, the series is running out of ideas, The and the plots got much worse once it got to the PS3 era as well, where it just seemed like a lot of what was special about the PS2 games was kind of watered down and made more child-friendly. Part of what made the older Ratchet games so much fun was that they were so snarky and sarcastic, and there's some... It, it it reminds me a lot of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That kind of humor, and that's what made them so much fun. Then you get to the lighter ones, and it's more like kitty humor. The, the PS4 game has not one but two jokes about someone stealing their sandwich from the
2: break room fridge. Oh,
1: we all we all know about that that twenty six. Like I don't even play Ratchet and Clank, but I know all about that remake. There's some
2: infamous shit in that movie.
0: So naturally, I was kind of skeptical about rift apart but the trailer made it look really interesting and unique where it's like oh my god a cyberpunk ratchet and clake game that takes place in an alternate universe and there it's got like the sonic forces plot where there's like an evil emperor with an army of robots and then there's like this resistance you know basically star wars kind of plot and they're like that sounds really creative and interesting and fresh for this series i can't wait to play that Mm -hmm. and i will say this It is probably the best Ratchet & Clank game since at least Tools of Destruction.
1: You know, for whatever it's worth, I've never really had too much of an interest in Ratchet & Clank, but I even think that this new game looks... Or not, it's not new, it's a little old at this point, but like... Well, one year. Even I'm kind of interested in this. Like, I've heard surprisingly good things about it, and I even hear that the story, like, for Ratchet & Clank standards is surprisingly decent. So it's like, yeah, maybe when I see it at a a better price, like maybe when it's like a little cheaper, I might pick it up because I'm still not like sure if this franchise is for me. But this one definitely looks like the more interesting game out of all of them. So don't spend $70 on it. Wait Mm -hmm. for It's not
0: it's only like five hours (laughs) long. Maybe it's not worth $70. And that's kind of the problem is like the PS3 and not so much the PS4 game. The game's kind of short. Mm hmm. The trailer is honestly kind of misleading. Like, um, how to put this? I, I guess I'll start with some positives. Number one, the soundtrack is way better than anything that's been in these games since David Bergot left. Like, uh, there used to be this French DJ named David Bergot who would compose the soundtracks for these games. And he had kind of a unique eclectic style that incorporated a lot of electronic stuff and a lot of orchestral stuff. Very unique, very memorable, great to listen to. But then, at some point, he left the series and they replaced him with like work for hire composers like Bro Michael Bross, Michael Dros should be dross, <laughs> and some other Boris Salkow, I think, was cracking time, and you know it's like the most generic video game score music you've ever heard where they think they're composing for like a movie and just sucks. This game was composed by Mark Mothersbaugh. Uh, who uh, you guys may know for being in Devo and for composing the Crash Games and the Jack Games. Um, nope. <laughs> he he composed the score for Thor Ragnarok as well, uh, hmm. which was really nice. Like he's done a lot of film work. The point is, this man is a virtuosic talent who has been in the industry for years and is arguably very revolutionary because of his involvements in like new wave 80s music. And that definitely translates to this being the best soundtrack in any Ratchet game I've heard in a long time. The story, I'm going to say, was definitely better, at least humor-wise, was better than the PS3, PS4 era. Like, I think Insomniac read all the criticisms about, like, hashtag Gadgetron and stuff, and made a good-faith effort to tone that shit down, and I really appreciated that. And there, there are a couple of interesting ideas in it, but honestly... Other than that, I thought the story was generic by the numbers and did not live up. like the trailer made it look like a cyberpunk themed game. And that's why I was so excited about it, because it's like, oh, my God, we're going to have like these dark, really warm, 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 kind of music in the background. And it's going to be so different from the home dimension. And then you play the game and it's like nefarious city is like that. But the rest of the game just feels like Crack in Time and Tools of Destruction again. Like, you visit a lot of the same planets from those two games, specifically, and visually, they look no different from the PS3 versions, where it's like, you're going to an alternate dimension, where that universe's version of Nefarious has taken everything over and has a giant robot army, and it just looks like Ratchet's dimension, for the most part. There's, like, no difference. I thought that was really disappointing. The combat, it was pretty good, but it's good in almost every Ratchet game except the PSP ones, so that's kind of not saying much. I liked the dash. It was really nice to incorporate into combat and to platforming. Speaking of which, there was more platforming in this game than a lot of the recent ones, which I appreciated. There was an, you know kind of an effort to go back to its roots. There were some really nice levels, like there was a prison level where you have to like break Ratchet out of prison that was really fun. Mm-hmm. The final boss was really exciting. Like it was, it was p- that was pretty cool. I liked what they did with Doctor Nefarious in this game. It's it's the most interesting he's been in like fifteen years, which isn't saying much, but still. Um. So overall, I thought it was good, but like it was really obvious to me that the pre- there was so much more they could have done with that premise that they couldn't do because of the arbitrary timetable that Sony had saddled them with. And I would love to play, I would love to live in the alternate universe where the fully cyberpunk version of this game came out and was like, had a couple more planets in it. And maybe the story was a little bit more sarcastic or maybe took more inspiration for, from cyberpunk literature, that oeuvre. But I live in this universe and the version I played was pretty good, but not the best thing I've ever played in my life.
2: hmm I pretty much agree. Like, it's probably the best ratchet game since I still haven't played up your arsenal. So I have to say going commando, um, mm. that's one of the best ones. So yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah, yeah. but like it, I also wouldn't put it in the same tier as those first two games. So I really love those games. I actually think ratchet one might be my favorite these days, which is like, <laughs> I don't know, really know why I think, there's just something about Ratchet 1 that feels really unique from the rest of the franchise. There, but There is anyway. a
0: purity to it where, like, yeah. the
2: later games
0: kind of felt like they were trying to make that first game's experience more accessible. Like, the first game has so many weird little moments in it. Like, you go to that one planet where there's a lightning storm, so Clank can't get out of the ship. Yeah. and then, And then there's another part where you don't have the gas mask yet, so only Clank can get out of the ship. The
2: newer games never have stuff like that, so... Yeah, and, like, I guess that stuff like that being missing was, like, pretty disappointing. I guess, like, the writing was better than it has been, but it wasn't, like, the greatest thing I've ever seen. It, it was sort yeah. of, like, a, it didn't really feel like I was playing Ratchet & Clank as much as it was, like, a a really beautiful PS5 exclusive launch game. I think yes. it was a launch game. I will uh, say this.
0: Yeah, it was, was close, close to launch. Yeah.
2: Um hmm. But it had really good, like the haptic feedback felt really good. Yes, and it, yeah. It was like a, it felt like a good game to play. But I don't know if I would say it was like a, a good ratchet and clank experience for me. But like it was fun, I guess. I do want to mention. Did you play it in 4K? I uh, don't. I think so. I, I actually may have. Yeah. Um. So the game
0: actually, this is something I really love about this new era of uh, PS uh, PS exclusives. That we've started to see a performance mode and a fidelity mode included in these games. And that kind of started with Last of Us 2, I think. And uh Insomniac Games has some kind of temporal-based upscaling algorithm that looks really good. So if you play it in the performance mode, the 60 FPS mode, it'll use temporal upscaling to convert it to 4K. And you guys know me, I'm very particular about my scaling, and I thought it looked fantastic. Like considering it's not native res. I thought it looked great. And the game also has like a 40 FPS mode that you can couple with for a native 4K. If you have a 120 hertz panel to play on, that's also kind of cool. I'm glad that these things are becoming standard now so that I don't have to degrade myself with 30 FPS when I play <laughs> console games nowadays. Mm. So uh, that was Rift Apart. I guess moving on to other catch
2: up games. Do, uh, we have do you have another one,
1: Ryan? Not really, no. Yeah, all
2: right, I well, f- to be honest with you, I miss the fact that we're supposed to be talking about catch-up games, so I just kind of tried to guess what we were trying to talk about. Nah, nah, it's, it's, it's all good.
0: Uh, as for me, I have a ton of games from previous years, so I'll just kind of, if you guys are all done, I'll go through a lightning round.
1: Lightning um, round, go!
0: Did any of you guys play Resident Evil Village? No. No! Okay, um, did any of you guys play 7? Biohazard? No. No! Okay, so I played through the entire Resident Evil main series last year for the first time. I'd never played any of these games. I haven't played any of the remakes
1: yet, so don't ask me about that, Uh. but I played the originals. Um. Can I, before you continue, can I actually, because like, if we're talking about Resident Evil, I actually have a bit of an interesting story. Okay, go ahead. If if It won't take too much time, but like, uh, I actually own Resident Evil one two, three, code Veronica and four mm-hmm. uh, and the way how I came across these games uh a while ago years ago, uh my father married into a Puerto Rican family okay and uh one of these members actually flew from Puerto Rico to Florida uh to stay with us a little bit, and he was like really huge uh it, like he was a huge Resident Evil fan right. Uh, mm-hmm. And he brought his, um, he brought all of his like Resident Evil games with them uh, on the trip, and uh, we decided to make it a point. we were like, okay, well, hey, you like Resident Evil, uh, you haven't played four yet, uh, which is apparently like the best one. Uh, so why don't we run to GameStop? We'll pick it up and uh, we'll play through it together. And he was like, yeah, sure, that sounds awesome. So we go to GameStop. We find the Resident Evil four for the PS two. That was the console that we had at uh, at my dad's place at the time, and uh, you know we buy it. Your GameStop uh, we come has PS two games. This was years ago, okay. this was years ago. I was still probably in high school, so um, so at this point, well over ten years ago, and uh, you know we're playing through it. We got about halfway through. He has to fly back home. Only problem is that he forgot to take the games with him, so
2: oh.
1: <laughs> guess who has the first five mainline Resident Evil games in his collection. Nice. That's you, me. You never bothered
0: to ship them back to
1: the guy? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh,
0: if I was him, I'd be pissed.
1: Uh, <laughs> I mean, I was never like, like he forgot to ship them back. And I, I asked um I asked my stepmom, I'm like, uh, do, do you think he'd want these back? And he's like, uh, just hold on to them until he gets back. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> he never came back so i'm like i guess they're mine now
0: yeah. okay so that was a thoroughly <laughs> pointless that- waste of time so as for the games well, that i played um <laughs> i have played fuck you <laughs> I,
1: it- I played four asshole. so i beat the game
0: <laughs> it, you know i'm just fucking with you right i didn't actually mean that oh yeah, yeah no i got but, you. but <laughs> um okay so lightning round for resident evil series one thought it was really tedious and the inventory was too small and the way that the mansion design was kind of a pain in the ass when you want to get from one wing to the next. There are a couple really obscure puzzles, like there's a part where you have to open a book to find a medal, and the game just doesn't tell you that that's something you can do. But otherwise, it had really effective narrative design and was a pretty solid first entry, even if it has some first game syndrome kind of stuff. Resident Evil 2, probably my favorite of the classic Resi games. Big improvement all around, more exciting police station was great and then it sort of devolves after that and it the game is much shorter than the first but it's they also have like the a and b scenarios so it's but even that's kind of a little repetitive resi 3 i never finished because i thought it was one of the most frustrating games i've played in a hot minute it's probably about a five on the Chun'an scale but it's still i i died to the fucking nemesis over and over and over again and it just felt like the limited range of motion of your character just did not correspond to trying to fight the nemesis or that fucking worm in the sewers. Jesus Christ. It just felt like I died and got sent back way too often. And every time you die, you have to sit through the you're dead thing come up on the screen. Then you have to wait for the tile screen to load. Then you have to watch 10 seconds of the opening FMV. And only then can you go to the file select and reload your save. So that was really tedious. Code Veronica. I think the first disc of Code Veronica is my favorite section of classic Resi that I played. Like, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the first disc of Code Veronica. But then once you get to the second disc, it starts to fall apart because that's where you start switching to Chris Redfield. You switch between Cl- Chris and Claire, but they share the same inventory for some goddamn reason. And there's no way you're going to know when they're going to switch. Mm. So... The first thing that happens with Chris is he fights one of those worm things, the Gravediggers. But if you didn't know ahead of time that that was going to happen and put your bazooka or grenade launcher into the item box, he just won't have it and he won't get one of his own. So that's that's kind of what sucks about Code Veronica. That's kind of like a first-time player's beginner trap. Generally, I enjoyed it way more than the third one and the first one. Resi 4... I enjoyed, but it's kind of, I had to play the Wii version because the, the GameCube controls, (laughs) I, I don't know how they could have possibly thought that tank controls was a good idea for that game. Like it's, it has aged not very well. Um, yeah, I guess there's something wrong with Leon's legs that he can't strafe for some reason, but it's one of those things that once you get past that, the game's really good, but you kind of have to get over the, the, the hump, get past the dated stuff to enjoy the game. Um, this is
1: the one resident evil game that actually played through to the end. So, I mean, I, I, I very much enjoyed resident evil four. I thought it was very good. I was good. surprised at how long it was. Like I was expecting beefy game. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like I was expecting like maybe a five hour game, but it ended up being like 10 hours. Honestly, you could probably trim a few things here and there. It probably didn't need to be that long. I really appreciated how stupid the story was. Like um, I I have to wonder if Shinji Mikami is actually intended for Resident Evil 1 to be a cornball fest after playing Resi 4, because the same guy directed Resi 1 and 4, so I have to wonder if he always intended for the series to be stupid schlock, and 4, it it didn't come across in 1 because the voice acting was so bad that you have to kind of question whether it was intentional.
1: there's There's some creepy stuff in Resident Evil 4. Yeah, there like is, the regi- but the regenerators, those are, those things, get, those are like, that's like the one right
0: legitimately scary. Like there are yeah. two scary sections. There's the one in the sewer where that bug thing is following you. Um, that's basically a almost invincible unless if you shoot every round in your inventory in, into him or use a grenade launcher while he's frozen. And then there's the regenerators or regeneradores as they're actually called, nice. um, uh, no, I wasn't really talking about that. I was talking about the cutscenes, Ryan. Where it's like, oh, gotcha, gotcha. Like you're you're watching Jack Krauser uh, flip around, and that was stupid too. Where it's like, this is suppo- clearly supposed to be a rival character that would have appeared throughout the game, but he doesn't show up until the last third, and then they they try to rush it all within like an hour. Uh, that that the whole game to me felt like a commentary on the series, like taking the piss out of itself, which I thought was fun. Resi Five was okay. <laughs> um, I see why people do not like it as much as 4. Um, I can thought, we
1: expect a Zebros play as level 5?
0: Probably not, because er, the only one that Eric's played is 7. Um, we can fix that! <laughs> I, like, it just felt... I, I had been hearing about how great Wesker was for years. Like, he's a really popular character to the point that they even put him in the movies and stuff. Speaking of which, there are some Cutscenes in Resident Evil 5 that were literally translated to the stupid movies. That's how dumb Resident Evil 5 is. It's as dumb as the is mm. the movies.
1: I grew but up on those movies, by the way. I fucking love those movies. And for some like, reason.
0: <laughs> but I love that. <laughs> for some reason, Wesker is voiced by Kamoshida. Um, <laughs> yeah, like he and and he's like, ah, <laughs> there you are. And he sounds really weird. <laughs> um he's fine when he's like not trying to be over the top, when he's trying to be subtle, but like when he's trying to be over the top, he's just like, Chris! The fucking final boss takes place in a goddamn Man, volcano. Chris a I'm
2: not making this uh, up. That's like the most iconic yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I know mean. that.
0: So that game was stupid, but it had its moments, and it was fun enough that I finished it. Resi 6, I'm gonna. I guess hot take, I don't think Resi 6 was that bad. Mm. Like, it's really dumb. It is excruciatingly stupid. But it's stupid in a fun way, and I really didn't think it was that much dumber than 5. Uh, Or even 4, really. Um, I guess 4 is a little more grounded, because people aren't doing, like, kung fu flips and kicks everywhere. But in terms of, like, tone, it wasn't that far off. And honestly, most of the action set pieces worked for me. Um, I guess the, what I really didn't like about six is that it's structured like birth by sleep, Sonic adventure and <laughs> Sonic six, um, there like is. more like birth by sleep and oh six really, where it's like, there are three scenarios, but they overlap. So like there are parts where, for example, there's this nemesis character called like the, it's some kind of Slavic name that I can't remember, but there's like a nemesis type character that chases Jake and Sherry Birkin around. Um. And there's a part where you fight him as Leon as well, so you have to replay that section. You play. I played Leon's first. His is the best campaign. Chris's is the worst and is so embarrassing. <laughs> um, is I've that not, the
1: one where you have to shoot the helicopter?
0: I I I'm not sure if I. Oh wait, no. There's a part where you control a helicopter and shoot zombies.
1: Isn't there a part where like there's an action? Like I know this is also in Devil May Cry too. So I know I'm not getting that too confused, but I swear <laughs> on my life, there's like a fight in Chris's campaign where, and I only ask because like I, I've seen people play through Rusty 5 and Rusty 6. But yeah. like, I swear there is a part where you play as Chris and it's notorious where you have to like shoot down a helicopter. Oh, as like a God. boss fight. Now I remember. Yes. That part sucks. So, um, Capcom, if you want to make a good boss fight, don't make it a helicopter. You already tried that twice. Come on, the, with the what's wrong problem with, you? with that one?
0: And I want to say that you play that part in Ada's campaign as well, because um, there's an Ada campaign that which was probably it's sort of like the last story of the game. You play as uh, as Ada because there's a lot of there's like an Ada clone in this game who is so obviously a clone. It's not the real Ada. And it's like, it was obvious to me immediately that she was not the real Ada, but everybody else acts like she is because they're stupid. So the entire game, Chris is chasing after Ada because he think he killed my men. That's, that's his whole thing is like, he has a cr- tragic backstory where a bunch of people under his command died because of the Ada clone. So he ate, hates Ada and he goes on a last of us two style quest of revenge to kill Ada. <laughs> It sucks. Chris's campaign is god-awful. But Does he want to
1: shoot out Ada's kneecaps and beat her with a golf club?
0: No, he so just I, wants I, to <laughs> put her to justice, quote-unquote. And he's oh, they, So no, like no they, golf clubs? They were trying to do Last <laughs> of Us 2, but it's somehow even worse than that.
1: <laughs> okay, um, now hang on. Were they trying to do Last of Us 2 or was Last of Us 2 trying to do Resident Evil 6? I
0: guess you could make the argument <laughs> since it came out first, but I, I, I'm spending too much time on this game i i don't think it's as bad as its reputation suggests i thought the combat was generally good the big problem with that game is that some of the bosses went on way too long because you just don't have enough fucking ammo to kill them like there's the, chris's final boss is the worst fucking thing in any of these games where it's like it's like this blue ectoplasm skeleton zombie thing that can transform into different shapes And he has, like, 16 different forms, and each one of them goes on for an hour. And then, like, at the end of the... It's one of those things where, like, okay, he's finally dead now. What the hell? He's still alive. Okay, he's finally dead now. What the hell? He came back again? It's one of those things. And every single boss in Resi 6 is like that. Or it's like, oh, finally, is he going to stay dead this time? Nope. So not as bad as people say, but it still has its problems. Now. Seven biohazard I thought was really, really good at first, because like the opening of biohazard is legitimately the scariest thing in any of these games. Like it starts out, you're in this house full of a bunch of crazy white trash and you're completely unarmed and they can kill you really quickly. And the opening section is you're in like a living room and you just got got free from being tied up. And the guy who tied you up is like somewhere else in the house. And you have to figure out how to get to the crawl space without him seeing you. And it is legitimately like the scariest thing I've played in any game ever. Um, But then you get a few weapons and you have a few over-the-top boss battles. Like, Seven is more grounded than the rest of the series, but it still has its schlock in it. There's a part where you fight Jack Baker with a chainsaw. He has a chainsaw and you have some other kind of cutting implement. It, It just feels like the first couple hours of Biohazard was really 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 good but then after that it slowly devolves into a Resident Evil game where by the end you're just shooting like there's a section where you play a flashback and you have like a machine gun and it just feels like 4, 5, and 6 it's closer to that than the rest of the mm-hmm. game was so and then by the end the game just runs out of steam uh, Resi 8 so now we're getting to the game that came out last year which none of you played apparently Resident Evil 8 is like if you combined Resi 7 with the shop system from 4 and the overarching plot of Castlevania Lords of Shadow. Like, I know I bring that game up a lot, but I mean it literally. Where, like, you go to the city, there are lichens running around, there are vampires, there are fishmen. It, It feels like a Castlevania game in a lot of ways. And it specifically has four lords of the city that you have to destroy and get pieces of a thing to put together into a whole, just like Lords of Shadow. The game is weird in that each section feels completely different. Each lord has its own little area. Castle Dimitrescu is more classic Resident Evil, but it has a couple of scripted moments where you fight like these bug vampire Mm. things, and then you fight Dimitrescu, who turns into a for some reason. Spoilers. My favorite part of the game was the Beneviento house. Beneviento. You go to like a house. It's very Silent Hill-esque, where there's a lot of psychological horror. I really enjoyed that section a lot. And then the final section takes place in a factory, and it's... Because, like, the problem is, Castle Dimitrescu is relatively open-ended, but it's still kind of linear. Then Then the Benefiento and Fishman houses are very linear, in the sense that there's not a lot of exploration. Then you get to the fourth one, the factory, and then it opens up into a little more explorative again. And then after that, it turns into a big, dumb action schlock ending straight out of Resi six, where there are helicopters and grenade launchers like the trying to keep track of the overarching plot of these games is kind of nuts. (laughs) And I also played the Revelations games, but who cares Uh, if you're going (laughs) to play one play Revelations two. That one was actually really good, and it was the first game to come out after six so they they made a good faith effort to try to strip the games down and make them horror games again in Revelations 2. That one was really good. So play that one if you haven't. Um. So yeah, that's the Resi series. Cool. I also played the entire God of War series, except the PSP games this year.
1: Okay. All right. All right. Now, now we're getting somewhere. Okay. And I kind of went over this in the God of
0: War Ragnarok podcast, which none of y'all watched for some reason. I watched it. Well, right. Surprisingly, (laughs) Ryan was the only one who watched it. Um, (laughs) 7,000 of you watched our Frontiers podcast, but like 400 of you watched the God of War podcast. So I don't know what the hell happened there.
1: That's the Sonic for (laughs) you.
0: God of War 1 I replayed recently. I think it's better on PS2, honestly. It's an okay first installment, but like uh, I just find it kind of tedious because the Pandora's Temple goes on for three hours and then you're like, okay, finally it's over. And then it's like the Cliffs of Madness starts immediately afterwards and goes on for another hour and a half. And it's just kind of like, can we get on with this? Um, God of War 2 is one of the most tedious games I've played in a hot minute where it just felt like everything was trying to make me pissed off. (laughs) Like there's this one room where you have to like descend down an elevator shaft while skeletons attack you. And if you take too long, the ceiling will crush you. And It's like you have to, like, mash the circle button so hard that your fucking thumb's gonna fall off. And then meanwhile, you have to take the time to kill these skeletons or else they'll knock you off the thing. And then there's a part where you have to push a statue against a flame wall while enemies are attacking you. Then there's a part you have to push these two statues to reflect a light beam back into a statue's eyes. But the game doesn't tell you that you can parry one of the light beams for some reason. So I spent 20 minutes trying to find the other statue when there wasn't one. So, like, there's a lot of that shit in God of War 2. I think I hated it a little bit. <laughs> I'd probably like God of War 2 more in a second playthrough when I know about all the beginner's traps, but there are tons of beginner's traps in this game. And after a while, I just wanted to shut it off. Um, God of War 3, fantastic. Oh, By My far man. the best classic God of War game. Uh, I don't think there's any competition. Really solid story. It took out all the stupid, annoying puzzles from 2. So the game has a better flow. Um it looks great, it sounds great, it feels great.
1: There's still plenty of puzzles though. Yeah, there are, but it's you not know.
0: it's not like God of War 2 where they're a pain in the <clears throat> ass and there's too many of them.
1: Yeah. It it honestly is something I appreciate about the I mean even like God of War 2, I do remember that game being kind of like there were a lot of areas that felt like pulling teeth. But yes. I think I prefer the f- second one over the first. I feel like as if maybe that's where I think God of War got a lot of its identity from like that's where we got like more of the cinematic sure. bosses and everything um, the boss God, fights I, I, were definitely I, better I remember those sisters of fate, God I remember them I wish I could forget, but I remember <laughs> you know um and especially that cliffhanger too and how it just like s- goes right into three. I love that so um, well, that's something I
0: hated because you spend the entire game trying to go back to fight Zeus and then Zeus just gets away mm-hmm. so well, you accomplish same, nothing
1: at, at the same time like I I only got into God of War 1 and 2 because I saw God of War 3, and it looked like the coolest game ever made, so I literally got this for the PS2 before the game came out and (laughs) played through them, loved them at the time. It's been a minute since I played through them, but like I ate those games up. I fucking loved those games. And then sure enough, when 3 came out, that was the game that made me buy a PS3, so I bought a PS3, got God of War 3 to go with it, and God of War 3 quickly became one of my favorite games just ever made. Ever made and I it's get still it too. yeah it's it's just it, maybe i'm crazy i don't know but i also feel like as if the game to this day still looks so fucking good like i I'm, played like, it on that ps4 game, and
0: it holds that that ge- the fuck up
1: when i played that back in 2010 that was like the best looking game i had ever seen like it looked I yeah. mean, at the time anyways i i haven't you know it's been a little bit since i played it but like it looked like it looked photorealistic you know and it was gruesome it was it was insane I'd never seen anything like that before. So, yeah, no, I, I fucking fell in love. I mean, like the story's kind of like it's okay. I'm not. I, I thought it st- was
0: st- pretty good, honestly. It
1: was, it was okay. Uh, I had mentioned
0: this in the in the Ragnarok podcast, but mm-hmm. I feel like with a lot of third installments, they just don't know what to do. It's it's like how Halo two and three were originally going to be one game, but then they ran out of time, so they split it into two games. Well, that's and that's why. Familiar. And and then Halo three has like no plot until the last five minutes, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because yeah. all the actual plot happened in two. So it's a lot of a lot of third installments feel like that uh, God of War three didn't. It felt that the whole the thing with Pandora gave it a through line. Yeah. And it, it felt like a complete story with the beginning, middle and end. The Pandora stuff was
1: definitely the more interesting stuff. I just think a lot of it is just like it is catharsis. It is paying sure, off yeah. the revenge, which is fine. It was satisfying. Don't get me wrong. But does that make a good overall story? I think you need a little bit more than that. And yeah, the Pandora stuff was interesting, but it just it didn't do enough, I guess. It's a
0: much better climax than the one for the Norse era. Uh, I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, again, if you haven't seen our God of War Ragnarok podcast, go watch that. Uh, but I guess to to wrap this up, I thought Ascension was pointless and boring, and I really liked the 2018 God of War game. I enjoyed it more than Ragnarok. And and one thing I didn't mention in that podcast, one of the reasons I liked 2018 so much was that it was more open-ended. Like, exploring the Lake of Nine was really fun, and there's just nothing like that in Ragnarok. It feels way more linear. So, that was something that was in 2018 that's just missing in Ragnarok. Mm -hmm. So, And I guess I'll quickly go through Tales of Berseria, which... I know Ryan brought up in one of the previous end of year podcasts. How did you like it? I really enjoyed it. And I think it really highlighted for me what was what people didn't like about Exilia one, because like Exilia one doesn't really have a final dungeon. And it just kind of felt like the game was floating along in retrospect. I enjoyed it when I played it. But in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, this game has some flaws. But I really enjoyed the story of Berseria. Uh, Mm -hmm. I really liked Violet or sorry. What the Velvet. hell is her name? Velvet. That's it. Yes! Uh, Christina V, her performance as as an emo goth <laughs> character was really she's good.
1: She's not emo! What the fuck?
0: <laughs> well, maybe emo is the wrong word, but you know what I mean. Goth, yes. definitely. Where she's like completely fed up with the power structures of, of her world and just consumed by the desire to enact vengeance. And that's like her sole reason for living. Um, And she goes Almost through a full tilt mental breakdown towards the end of the game, which I really thought paid that off well. Uh, lots of really fucking great Lafayette characters. Said,
1: called her out on her bullshit. Tells her to <laughs> shut the hell up and stop crying. This It's just a little boy, a small little like cinnamon roll. Is telling this main character to get her shit together. That is one yeah. of the best moments in the game. That's enough for her to be like, you know what? No, fuck this. You're right. And then she comes back, dude. It tells a Rosario. Like the more I like sit on it, the more I think about it. That one's one of the. It's one of my favorite JRPGs ever. I fucking yeah. ate that up, man. I loved that game. That cast, the characters, perfect. <laughs> I fucking and I, love and all I also, of
0: them. <laughs> yes, um, I especially loved Eisen. Um, mm. like I thought he was really like he's basically an angel. Like uh, a Malachim is like a type of angel, apparently. And apparently, it's a prequel to Zestiria, which I've heard no good things about. Yeah. Um. And Zesteria has seraphim, so they're supposed to be angels. But uh. But Eisen's like, yeah, people didn't used to be able to see me. Um. So, but then suddenly they could because of the event that happened that I forgot the name of. And then I became part of this pirate crew, and everybody trusts me. And like, it was just a really well-rounded character that was well fleshed out. Mm-hmm. Lots of great characters. If I have oh and lots of great voice actors too like uh yes. Michael Cinturnaclas is in it fuck uh Brina Palencia is in it um she is Chopper in what in the One Piece dub she's been like a ton of characters in Funimation stuff so I was like hey it's Brina you're she's one of my favorites I love hearing her voice so yeah really enjoyed that game if I have any criticisms of it the battling got really repetitive after a while especially in the final dungeon where yeah. there's just one trash mob after another and it's just like I felt like if I didn't fight them all I was gonna be underleveled, but then I fought the final boss and beat him really easily. So I think I overleveled. Yeah. So that game is good. Now I'm gonna wrap it up with another RPG. Uh have any of you guys played Omori? I haven't, um, but I
1: have not played it. It looks phenomenal.
0: I'm going to say that Omori is one of the best games ever made. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where if I had to pick a game of the year, not based on what came out in 2022, it would be Omori.
1: What? I think, what did that come out? Did that come out 2021?
0: I think it was 2020.
1: I'm going to look that up right now. Let's. Technically, the, the
0: console version came out last year, though, so it's sort of relevant. It's it's really hard to explain what hmm. makes this game so great
1: without spoiling it. It came out Christmas of 2020.
0: Uh, it's It's one of those games where play this game if you like jrpgs at all and if you like psychological horror like if you like silent hill you need to play omori but do not look up anything about this game play it completely blind like i remember a million years ago king you released your video on um undertale Mm -hmm. and we're talking about how it was like an experience that furthered video games as an interactive medium yeah and i'm going to say that Omori is one of those games as well, where it really plays around with the medium in a way I haven't seen in a lot of games where a lot of the more vi- there's some parts of the game that feel very video gamey and some parts that al- also feel very grounded in real. Mm-hmm. And the, the contrast between those two halves is very satisfying. And like the as a character study of its of its main character, who's named Sonny. It's fascinating as well, where it deals with topics like uh, repression of memories and like uh, the title Omori is a is a allusion to the Japanese term Hikikomori, which, are, which basically means shut in. Oh, I, I sort of
2: have an and idea it's like, of where it would go
0: if that's what the game is. Mm-hmm. So it's there are two different routes for the game as well. There's one where it goes in a more video gamey direction and another where it goes in a more realistic direction. Um so I would make sure that you at least look up how to do those routes so that you don't miss them if you don't cuz like it's possible to miss the true ending of the game is what I'm trying to say so uh look up the routes and make sure you're on the
2: right one well, if you if play it's it. like Undertale then I I'll, I'll get through it cuz I saw all that was in Undertale and it's kind of obtuse what you have to do to do that Yeah Oh it's like I I would love to talk about this game in a full podcast
0: sometime but you guys haven't played it and I don't want to spoil it for you, but I'm just going to say the ending is something I still think about where like it, the game could be legitimately disturbing in parts. Like the use of horror is really effective. Like again, psychological horror, like silent Hill, where a lot of stuff is supposed to be representative of the character's psyche and mental state. And there's, there's some images in this game that, legitimately shook me to my core and I still can see them in my mind's eye and I whenever I think about them I feel disturbed so like I don't know this game is brilliant it, it just goes to show that 2020 was one of the better years in gaming that I, I can remember between that and last of us 2 it was a really good year for games that took risks and tried to tell some really dark and disturbing stories and you know actually played around with the medium as a contrast to something like God of War Ragnarok that felt so paint by numbers in so many ways Please check out our YouTube channel for playthroughs of our favorite games and video versions of all our podcasts. This episode was edited by yours truly, ExoParadigm Gamer. Check out the links in the description to follow each of us on YouTube, Twitter, and more. Thank you all very much for watching our podcast, and we'll see you all next time.